Hi everyone, I'm Carla and I'm Iman and this is Screensaver, our podcast about all things pop culture. Today we are swinging back into action with a character that we were very excited to welcome back into our hearts, Spider-Man. Today's episode will be a deep dive into the latest iteration of Marvel's Spider-Man franchise, Spider-Man Homecoming, starring Tom Holland, Michael Keaton, Robert Downey Jr., and Zendaya? That's debatable. (laughs) We'll get into all of that and all the major characters in this film right after the break. The world's changing, boys. Time we change, too. Listen, Peter. Forget the flying monster guy. There are people who handle this sort of thing. I'm sick of him treating me like a kid. But you are a kid. This is my chance to prove myself. Don't mess with me. Because I will kill you. And everybody you love. Okay, by now, most people are very familiar with the Spider-Man story. This is, after all, the third iteration of the franchise in recent years. But if for whatever reason you are not one of those people or just need a refresher... Iman, why don't we kick off our conversation the way we always do, with a little bit of plot talk. Sounds great. After appearing briefly in the last Marvel movie, Captain America Civil War, Peter Parker, played by Tom Holland, has returned to Queens and struggles to return to the normalcy of his life as a nerdy high school student after having fought with the Avengers superheroes. Eager to join the grown-up Avengers crew, he fights petty crimes to prove himself to his mentor, Tony Stark, played by Robert Downey Jr., and, whoops, discovers an underground criminal arms dealership led by the villainous Vulture, played by Michael Keaton, along the way. Obviously, things go pretty crazy pretty quickly. Do we want to kick things off with our initial impressions? Yeah, let's do it. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. As many people know, we are both fans of the Spider-Man character. I mean, we've read the comics. I used to have Spider-Man folders in high school. (laughs) I had a lunchbox. Yes, and most of that adoration came by way of the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies that came out in the early 2000s, starring Tobey Maguire. We were fans of that series, And then, a few years later, another reboot came out starring Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. And I was not a fan. I honestly can't even remember much of that dark period of Spider-Man history and don't really care to explore it. So, as you can imagine, when we heard there was going to be yet another Spider-Man, this time played by a relatively unknown British actor, Tom Holland... I was curious, but mostly skeptical. And after seeing Spider-Man Homecoming, all of that skepticism has gone out the window and I am all in. Spider-Man Homecoming captured everything I want to see in a superhero movie. It was bright and funny and entertaining 
and it demonstrated that a superhero movie doesn't necessarily have to be dark to be good. Yes, I think in any conversations we have about superhero movies, that's a point that we end up coming back to and for some reason have to keep making. But (laughs) I completely agree that this was a movie that just, it was so fun. Setting the movie so wholly, first off, I loved it. Um, setting, and I think that setting the movie so wholly in the life of a teenager and having things like chemistry classes and nerdy fedora wearing best friends, it made the movie feel engaging to me in a way that the typical scale of Marvel's crash, crash, bang, bang epics miss. Uh, I actually saw a tweet by Emily V. Gordon soon after we saw the movie and she said Spider-Man did a great job of capturing what high school was like for the rest of us. And I completely agree. I just, I loved the way that it depicted high school in just a really real way. You know what that kind of reminded me of? What? You know how in the Harry Potter books, a lot of it is just Harry going to school and going to classes? Yes. A lot of people find that boring, but I love those parts of the books. Yeah, because it feels like something that you're living too. And it injects magic and mystery, and in this case, heroism, into something that most people might see as kind of mundane, but it's real. Yeah, totally. And I'd say, funnily enough, this movie reminded me the most, in terms of Marvel, of Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. which was kind of a Marvel superhero heist movie that we reviewed a, a while back, mainly because it focused on just a smaller storyline, like one guy in high school, one guy breaking out of jail casually. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it basically took the smaller story and let the bigger plot unfold from there. So that was something that I really liked. Also, apart from focusing on a younger high school Spider-Man and actually letting him act his age as a younger Spider-Man, I love that this movie threw out the baggage of Uncle Ben is dead, with great power comes great responsibility, that whole origin story. And instead, it actually presented this young and very frequently hit on, to the point of being kind of weird, Aunt May, played by Marissa Tomei. Yes, That was a little weird. It just kind of, I I would feel so uncomfortable as a 16-year-old if my aunt was getting hit on. Anyway, the movie also trimmed out uh, the Daily Bugle and Peter's photography hobby, and I thought that was interesting in that in in the age of the iPhone, carrying around an actual camera just makes you a lot more of a hipster than it would in 2000. It seemed like he was a fan of creating his own iPhone videos, though. Yes. I love the way that they translated it without making it feel hipstery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, as I said, and as I'm saying in my meandering comments, I think the movie overall was better off for these changes, and it produced a fun-to-watch summer movie for 2017. And I say 2017 very intentionally, uh, specifically because... One thing you cannot miss about this movie is how ridiculously diverse it was. I mean, there were scenes of them walking through high schools and every single student looked completely different. Yeah. Different races, sizes, shapes, everything. And I thought that was just really refreshing because I'm sure that's a lot more reflective of Queens than a homogenous all-white preppy school would have been. My... My cynical side wants to say 
when I see really diverse casting in general, my cynical side wanted to thinks like this is being forced. And specifically with this movie, I was wondering if it was done out of guilt for not casting a person of color Spider-Man. I know there was push to cast Donald Glover as Spider-Man. It didn't pan out and he ended up in the movie. We'll probably touch on this later, but the optimist in me is really happy that young kids will grow up seeing scrappy heroes of all races and shapes. So overall, it was great. Yeah, several members of the academic decathlon team that Spider-Man is on are African-American. His best friend, Ned, is Filipino. Mm -hmm. His love interest is African-American. Yeah, even the the bully in the movie is a person of color as well. Yeah, the bully is Zero from the Grand Budapest Hotel, the, <laughs> the nerd from that movie. It was just such a fun, refreshing take on all of these characters. You could tell they were not letting the conventional image or idea of a jock or a nerd or a best friend color the way that they were casting this. Yeah, or even Aunt May. Yeah, that's true. I mean, get it, Aunt May. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Iman, I think by now it's pretty clear that we are both fans of this latest version of Peter Parker in general. Given that there have been so many versions, I'm wondering if we could come up with a list of characteristics that are required to make the best Peter Parker. What are some things that you think makes the perfect Peter Parker or Spider-Man? Well, just listening to the the trailer that we played earlier, I'd say number one for me is a great voice. Yeah. I think there's something about that, like, kind of light New York accent that just makes, I mean, it makes his little witticism so perfectly delivered. Yeah, I must say, so far, all three Spider-Men, 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 <laughs> um, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland have all had pretty great voices. Which is funny because two out of three of those are faking accents. That's right. But it in all of them, it sort of helps give him the image of a really sweet, soft-spoken yet witty individual. I mean, it sounds, it's probably funny for us to be starting off with a great voice or it might take people by surprise, but I really do think that with most superheroes, if you think of like Henry Cavill's Superman, heroic voices seem like something that people very typically put on. And by making everything like this character's voice, it's something that's so central to him something that sounds like uh, maybe like geekier friend you had in high school. It just colors the way that you see the character as a whole. Definitely. And the I think the movie kind of plays on that a little bit because it does make fun of the Batman voice at one point. So yes. we know that voices <laughs> are already a big part of what makes superheroes uh superheroes it's Mm -hmm. a big part of that identity and it's not something people would probably think about right off the bat yeah but it it, it's just like one of those background things that unconsciously or subconsciously affects the way you see them and also makes them super attractive just (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. What what's another element? What's an element you thought of? Um okay, I think for Peter Parker or for Spider-Man specifically, he has to be small in stature. He's a little guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I also agree about this. And I think it's really related to our first point about a voice. I mean, having a hero that might not look like a hero, it's kind of like taking, it's like taking Steve Rogers and never saying that he needed to get abs to be a superhero. Mm Mm-hmm. Not saying Tom Holland doesn't have abs. (laughs) (laughs) But he's still, uh, like, he still feels like a normal teenager. Yeah. It doesn't seem as superhuman and... I mean, superhuman implies not human. And I think that having Peter Parker be kind of like a scrawnier character as he has been in all three movies just makes it feel like I could be this guy. Or like, and when he digs deep and does incredible things, it kind of feels like, well, we could do that too. And I really love the optimism and what that represents for especially younger viewers. Yeah, he definitely fits that unlikely hero trope that we see in movies like Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. or I'm trying to think of other little guys becoming the heroes. I don't know, Jon (laughs) Snow maybe? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty, like, yeah, of like someone that you wouldn't expect. Totally. Jon Snow's a little bigger than a hobbit, but he's (laughs) not as huge as like the mountain. So, yes. Um... I'd say, I mean, continuing off of these, we're kind of building off of this, but in building a perfect Peter Parker, I think he definitely has to be a nerd. Oh, yeah. Uh, Of course. Given that the comics came out in the 60s when nerd meant something very different than what nerd means now. Mm -hmm. So I think that it would be risky... Like, I think that when a character like this comes around, there is the risk that they'll throw taped glasses onto him and kind of exaggerate it too much. But what I think they've done with all the successful Peter Parkers is make him believably nerdy and not exaggeratedly nerdy where it becomes a trope. Like, here he's, especially in this movie, he's depicted as someone that's pretty cool, but, like, cool and confident in himself. But no, he's not hanging with the cool kids. He's in academic decathlon. He's in band. He's in all these things. But he's not a social pariah that's constantly dreaming of, like, being a jock. It's just kind of like he's a normal high school kid. And, yeah, he's shy to go to parties and stuff. But he's not isolated. Yeah, and he's not socially inept. If anything, he's, he's really witty and charming. Yeah, charming. That's the perfect word for it. And other characteristics, and I'd probably argue that this is probably the most important characteristics that Peter Parker could have. He has to Mm -hmm. be genuinely fun and youthful. Yes, he has to be young. Yes. One of the things that makes Tom Holland's Spider-Man so fun is that he's completely free of superhero angst. He's also just a teenager through and through. Yes, I actually think that 
thinking back to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies, um, I think one area where that Peter Parker did fail was in Spider-Man 3, which has gone down in infamy because everyone hates it. And Mm -hmm. I think that part of, I mean, there was, I didn't mind it, but there was plenty wrong with that movie. And I think one of them is that he was so not a kid in that movie. He was like a moody college kid and i think that that compared to the first movie where he's taking out the trash for his aunt it shows that the main difference there is his age and i think it's just something that's so important and so well done with tom holland spider-man yeah and i think this was actually demonstrated to us wonderfully with the introduction of a new character peter's best friend ned Yes, I loved Ned so much better than (laughs) Harry from (laughs) Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Ned was great. I think we have to introduce him to our listeners by playing a clip in which Ned first discovers that his best friend Peter is actually Spider-Man. Let's roll that now. Spider-Man from YouTube. I'm not. You were on the ceiling. What was it? Ned, what are you doing in my room? You may let me in. You said we're going to finish a Death Star. She doesn't know. Nobody knows. Well, I mean, Mr. Stark knows because he made my suit, but that's it. Well, Tony Stark made you that? Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. Dude, you can't tell anybody about this. Gotta keep it a secret. Secret wife. You know what she's like. If she finds out, people try and kill me every single night. She's not going to let me do this anymore. Okay, 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 okay. I'll level with you. I don't think I can give this a secret. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I can't believe this is happening right now. Oh my gosh, there's so much that I love about this because it feels like how I would definitely react to my best friend (laughs) being a superhero. I would be freaking out, definitely not promising that I could keep it a secret because being Spider-Man is pretty badass. Yes. No, I think the, the greatest thing about Ned is that he plays a perfect audience surrogate mm. because the enthusiasm and excitement he he expresses toward his discovery is so unfiltered just, exactly it feels sincere in a way that cool characters genuinely aren't allowed to be and i think he's he's taking like the genuine delight he's taking in this is really fun but it's never making him the butt of the joke or making it like their banter is very much that of best friends it's not like ugh my like chubby filipino best friend is like being such a getting in the way yeah getting in the way like no and i also loved that they never referenced that he was like a little huskier than peter like no it was just like it seemed like such a great friendship between the two of them and i like that he was really happy and excited for peter mm-hmm. and he was also so confident in himself that he wasn't upset about not having superhero powers himself he was so on board to be his sidekick and be the guy talking into his ear helping him accomplish whatever tasks he had ahead of him 
Yeah, and I think realistically, I mean, it is depicted later where he's kind of asking, like, is this something that can happen to me? Can I join in? But it's never done in, like, a way that was... The movie never explored, like, oh, Ned's jealous rage or, oh, Tom, uh, Peter's angst over not getting to share this with with Ned. It was just kind of... It was all played so naturally, and I really loved it. Yeah, I really hope he is in future installments of this franchise. And I'm excited to see what becomes of him because I can almost see him becoming something of a Ron Weasley type character. Yeah, I love that comparison. Funny, but not stupid. Yes. Like, so capable. And the Harry Potter movies don't always do that, but book Ron. Book Ron. Yeah. (laughs) So so I think, Iman, in going back to our list of what makes the perfect Peter Parker, mm-hmm. I feel like Tom Holland definitely checks all the boxes. He has a yes. great voice. He's mm-hmm. small in stature, but he mm-hmm. had great abs. Yes. He's a believable <laughs> nerd, but not too nerdy. And he was genuinely fun and youthful. Do you think we can crown him of the three Spider-Mans? The number one Spider-Man? He's my number one Spider-Man for sure. I I agree. And I think this movie might not be perfect, but I think the casting was spot on for him. And I remember even feeling that when we were watching Civil War. I saw him catch... uh, Captain America's shield and kind of react and... I remember just feeling like, okay, I I feel comfortable with this. So, yeah, we obviously love Peter Parker. We love Tom Holland. We really love Ned. (laughs) (laughs) But we had another new character introduced to us in this movie, too. Adrian Toomes, better known as the infamous Vulture from the Spider-Man comics, played by repeat Birdman Michael Keaton. Yes, How did we feel about the Vulture? He is perhaps one of the most grounded Marvel villains we've seen yet. Which is, we can make a funny pun about the fact that he has wings and he's the most (laughs) grounded, but yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, Adrian Toomes kind of starts out as a working class hero of sorts and is able Mm -hmm. to eventually make a successful albeit illegal business enterprise by creating powerful weapons using some of the extraterrestrial remains from superhero battle scenes. So in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, superhero battles happen often, and as a result, there is a lot of destruction and debris. Adrian Toomes is the head of a crew that is in charge of cleaning up these battle scenes, and he kind of, you know... He kind of saves some of the most um, valuable pieces of what he finds under his own wing, so to speak. Yeah, he's a scavenger. Yes. Lives up to his name. Uh, I would say, I agree. I liked him. Um, I think like most Spider-Man villains, I'm looking at you, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, and Sandman. (laughs) uh, The Vulture could have so easily been a joke. But instead, they gave him a complex story um, that fit very much within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this backstory didn't, or his job and his personality and his whole characterization 
didn't let him off the hook for misdeeds in the way that saying, oh, I'm stealing medicine for my daughter would. I mean, he's an arms dealer. Mm -hmm. But the way that they framed it made it feel really true to a a post-2008 economic crash economy. Yeah. And apparently, I actually was reading uh, an interview with the screenwriters, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, and it seems like this human villain was really what they were going for. Uh, A quote from that interview said, I think our intention was always to keep him a not terrible guy. What we can never relate to or even root against is the mustache twirly villain where it's unclear why they're evil and they're just evil for evil's sake. That's really interesting. And yeah, it does help give him a lot of depth. Another interesting thing about this particular villain is all the similarities he has with Spider-Man himself. I mean, if you think Mm -hmm. about it, what are the two main themes of this movie? There's proving oneself and the classic hero trope of duty and responsibility. They give those characteristics to not only Peter Parker, but to the Vulture, too, which makes their clash all the more interesting. That's very true, and I really like teasing out those themes across both of them like even just you were saying them i can think of so many scenes from the movies that relate to both mm-hmm. i don't get too spoilery so i'll leave those aside but actually getting back to your point about tombs his duty and responsibility to his family and him therein heading the crew in charge of cleaning up all the debris from these avengers clashes i think his crew's rise to power also interestingly answered the question of what happens to cities supposedly saved by the Avengers after they leave. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see here, crews have to clean it up. Alien technology can be scavenged, and crime and capitalism do what they do. And again, I don't want to get too spoilery, but I think I would be remiss not to mention that as much of a working-class hero as the Vulture paints himself, we learn that he kind of lives the high life. He has this, like, very nice house. So get over yourself and stop beating up 15-year-olds, dude. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You did like his jacket, though. Yes. <laughs> he was. He had this giant, very 70s-looking jacket with a giant fur collar, and he was working it. Uh, on a more serious note, I mean, what a cool and not gimmicky way to make him look like a vulture. Yeah. That uh, was really clever. Yeah. It was. I mean, it just, it worked for me. I will say there was some stuff in this movie that didn't seem to work with for us. Um, should we get into that? Yeah, I mean, we might as well. One thing right off the bat, it's our complaint with so many of these movies. It was too long. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I will say while watching it, it didn't feel that long until we were maybe like, an hour and 40 minutes into it but in retrospect i mean did we really need three giant disaster scenes yeah thinking back to earlier spider-man movies it usually it builds up to this one giant cg heavy um disaster and this movie had I mean, a few that I can name just off the top of my head where there would be at least five minutes dedicated to him doing these really cool flips and playing with his web slingers. 
my favorite moments were definitely just him in high school hanging with his friends and i can see why a superhero movie needs to have these things but the the extra half hour that it added to the movie i could have done without what were some of the things in this movie that didn't work for you iman um i will say as somebody that likes given that i really like ant-man and guardians of the galaxy it's obvious that i like kind of self-contained marvel stories so it goes it stands to reason that my one of my complaints would be that there were kind of a lot of cameos in this movie and i don't know how i felt about all of them the first that i would start out with would be um gwyneth paltrow's character from the iron man movies showed up in a really clunky awkward way in this movie yeah and i could have done without it as well as, frankly, half the Iron Man appearances where Robert Downey Jr. just shows up, makes weird jokes about his dad, and then disappears. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not entirely sold on the Iron Man movies, and that's why I didn't want them to interrupt so frequently in these. But I don't know. Were there any cameos that you felt kind of iffy about? There were a lot of random celebrity cameos. I mean, Hannibal Burris was in this movie, And even Donald Glover was in it, which was a huge surprise. Yeah, those, I mean, both are really funny comedians, and I'm usually happy to see them, but I definitely was kind of surprised. Like, they they came out of nowhere for me. And more than that, they came out of nowhere and then left abruptly as well. It seemed like they could have done... So, I mean, with Hannibal Burris's character, especially, he's, I think, the gym teacher. Yeah, and he ran detention, but... Yeah, and then he kind of just disappeared, and we never saw him again. Mm-hmm. And then Donald Glover's character is a little bit more substantive in that he provides Spider-Man with some intel that he uses later to find the bad guys, but mm-hmm. even so... I thought it was interesting to just see how completely checked out he seemed in this movie, considering he was one of the people just a few years ago who was trying to make the case for him being Spider-Man himself. Yeah, I mean, I think our complaints might just have to do with the way that these characters were written. I'm sure that the actors were playing them... I mean, with direction, but I will say that these were two characters, as happy as I was to see them, neither of them seemed like they were having any fun shooting. (laughs) Yeah. Hannibal seemed really bored, which I guess is telling of any Hannibal Burris character, and Donald Glover seemed, like, kind of strung out, and I get it, he was playing a drug dealer, so it worked, but I don't know, I just felt kind of weird about them. Yes. And then we also mentioned her in our our teaser for this episode but what was up with zendaya oh my gosh this character befuddled me i am so here for a kind of outsider-ish um feminist lit reading anti-establishment woman But Zendaya, and I I think, I do think there was an attempt to make Zendaya's character all of that. I mean, at the end of the movie, we, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but it's revealed that her name, she goes by MJ, so 
I it stands to reason that she's going to be a, a love interest in later movies. Mm-hmm. But she was floating through this movie as this weird ghost where yeah. she would go to detention when she didn't need to and sketch out what did she say like i like sketching misery or something she was she just didn't feel real she felt weird in a not real way like it felt like someone was tasked with write a moody intellectual teenage girl and they had never met a moody intellectual teenage girl (laughs) It was poorly written. I'm not blaming this at all. And Zendaya, I'm really excited to have a young African-American woman about to probably take much more of a central role in this franchise. But part of me just kind of felt like, why was she even in this one? Yeah, I felt like her character was completely expendable. Which was mm-hmm. surprising to me because she was such a huge part of the promotions for this movie. Yeah. I think everyone going into it expected Zendaya to be Peter Parker's love interest in this first installment. Instead, we barely got to see her. And when we did, she kind of seemed like she didn't want to be there herself. So it was all really confusing just because they set up these expectations and then kind of pulled the rug out from under us and said, haha, this was all just a tease for the next movies. Yeah, if I didn't know who she was, I think I would have been really confused by her presence. Whereas as a like as I where I am now is just kind of like, okay, well, I need to put this in the context of she's a famous star. And she's going to be in future movies. And she's going to bring in younger audiences. Oh, for sure. (sighs) She's Casey Casey Undercover. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we were a little confused by her appearance in this movie, but let's get into our shout outs. Yes, all the things we love. Um, Okay, we've gushed about Ned, but... I'm totally giving my first shout out to all the fun things he brought into this movie with respect to him and Peter. Uh, Shout out to Secret Handshakes. Yes. Shout out to Fedoras at high school parties. (laughs) (laughs) And shout out to taking embarrassing selfies and saving them as phone contact images on your friends' phones. Oh my god, I forgot about this. But that was there were so many tiny details between Peter and Ned that just felt so true to your relationship to anyone's relationship with his or her best friend. Yes. And also being a high school kid it just felt it added so much levity and i mean uh, i loved all of it it definitely felt like one of the most genuine relationships in this movie yeah i think they had the best chemistry in this movie (laughs) (laughs) for sure what's what's your shout out okay my first shout out has to go to Those Captain America videos. The PSAs. Yes. (laughs) They were such beautiful little Easter eggs. Yes. There were moments where, uh, I mean, as anyone that's been in middle school knows, sometimes you'll get a television wheeled into your classroom. Although, I don't know, maybe kids nowadays don't get them wheeled in. But anyway, you'd usually get a, a TV 
pushed into your classroom and get some funny PSA about not doing drugs or eating healthy and exercising. And in this movie, though it's set so wholly within like a, a very normal high school, it was funny to get remi- a reminder of the fact that the Avengers exist in this world. And being such, Captain America is filming very wholesome videos promoting good living <laughs> to, to high school kids. Yes, it was such a clever way to interweave the supernatural superheroes that exist in this world with the everyday teenagers i love yes super mundane and hannibal burris makes a really funny quip about it (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna give my next shout out to bokeem woodbine he's an actor that we last talked about um in our recap of season two of fargo Mm -hmm. he played a really awesome villain there and i was surprised to see him in this one i was not expecting him did you know he was going to be in this no not at all and i didn't even recognize him at first because he has hair in fargo and he didn't have hair here (laughs) very true i think my rule of thumb is at first i think he's dave Chappelle. oh my god me too no it's bokeem (laughs) woodbine So, yeah, I mean, it's something I, I mentioned diversity a little bit earlier, but I'd say um, I was really excited to see him playing a villain in this movie as well, but he wasn't so much a kind of voiceless sidekick. He did seem like he had something of a moral compass or he was uh, an important enough character in this movie as a member of of Michael Keaton's crew and I'm just really excited for him as an actor to see him getting roles in these in these really big movies. Yeah, getting some of that Marvel money. Yes. <laughs> okay, my next shout out is a little less serious, but I have to give it to that kid in this movie who doesn't even have a name but In one of the more serious parts of this movie, Peter Parker is having a conversation with Happy, and it's it's a pretty serious conversation, and it's happening in a bathroom, and in the middle of this conversation, this kid walks in, he goes to the bathroom, he comes out, and he washes his hands in... I mean, he takes his time while he's washing his hands. (laughs) And the comedic timing of this was way too good. So shouts to that kid for washing his hands and reminding us the importance of hygiene. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and also of not giving two cents about random suited men in your high school. (laughs) Yes, he didn't even blink. We watched this movie with my best friend, Nicole, and she leaned over to me and just said, my God, this high school lets anyone in. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Seeing seeing some random suited guy. Yeah, so I guess a simultaneous shout out to lax security measures at Queens High Schools. Definite shout out to that kid. And I guess my last one is also kind of not serious, but uh, Spider-Man has this awesome OS built within his suit, and he ends up calling it Karen. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of Samantha in the movie Her. Yes. No, there were there was definite overlap, hopefully a little less sexual tension, but <laughs> she does dispense dating advice at a pretty inopportune moment in this 
in this movie. So uh, shout out to Karen's terrible dating advice and a warning to anyone listening, don't kiss girls in front of crowds mid-rescue or <laughs> even attempt to. So <laughs> yes, I think this movie, in thinking back on it, has given me so many just delightful little nuggets yeah. to think back on. Yes, it was long, but there were so many moments that I just kind of thought like, oh yeah, that happened. Yes. That have been keeping me consistently happy and also thinking about this movie longer than I think most Marvel movies stick around in my mind. Oh, definitely. So Iman, let's transition into our rankings of the movie. What would you rank Spider-Man Homecoming? Uh, I really liked it. I think I'm going to, um, I will say I was torn between giving this movie an 8.5 and a 9. I think I'm leaning towards 8.5 just because of this, everything that we mentioned that didn't work. But, um, yeah, I'll give it, I'll settle upon an 8.5 or an 8.75 homecoming corsages. Oh, yes. Really leaning into the title. Yeah, we can't forget that in the middle of all of this, there was also a homecoming dance. Yeah, it was really sweet. (laughs) What's your rating for this movie? I also really enjoyed it. And I think when I think back on it, I enjoyed it almost more for the things that differentiated this version of Spider-Man from its predecessors. With the Mm -hmm. introduction of characters like Ned or the fact that Spider-Man's suit talks to him in the form of a woman named Karen. Mm -hmm. Um, These additions were really smart and really great. Uh, It's it's a much lighter, funnier, and just overall cheerful Spider-Man than the ones we've seen in the past. And that makes me so much more excited to see what becomes of this character in the future? I kind of don't want him to grow up. Yeah, I don't want him to join the Avengers. <laughs> so for all of that, I too am going to give it an 8.5 out of 10 Lego Death Stars. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Babies. <laughs> All right, Iman. Well, I think that does it for this episode of Screensaver. For those of you listening out there, if you have any thoughts you want to share with us on Spider-Man, let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at ScreensaverPod and like our Facebook page, Screensaver Podcast. And as always, you can find other episodes of Screensaver on iTunes. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good. Yeah.